Bridge kids are dismissed. Look at that enthusiasm as they go, too. I love that. <laughs> They're pumped to be going. I don't know what that says to me as the one getting up to preach. What does that, what does that say? <laughs> uh, well, it is a joy for me to be here today. And uh, Jerry was on the search team uh, five years ago for the new district superintendent, so I got to meet him in that capacity. And then also just thank him. He served on the board of directors. Tomorrow we have our one of our quarterly meetings. You're probably going to miss not being in Stevens Point with me tomorrow, but uh, we have four meetings a year, and Jerry was uh, served so faithfully as part of our district um, board of directors. So thank you for that, Jerry, and just appreciate Jerry and Sue and their friendship. I want to say thank you to the bridge for being part of uh, what God is doing. We have a slide, I believe, next that shows a little bit of some of the things, the next slide, I believe, uh, what God's doing in the Forest Lakes District. Let me tell two quick stories because you are part of these two stories. Um, we are seeing just an explosion of uh, ministry within the Hispanic community. Um, we can't quite announce it yet, but there... The, we are seeing congregations that meet within our other churches uh, that are Hispanic churches popping up all over the place. And um, we're looking at some strategic partnerships with Trinity, our uh, school in Deerfield, Illinois, as well as another partner in Texas, Lord willing. So that's, I can't say more about that other than God's doing some amazing things there. But two quick stories. We have a church in northern Wisconsin that has a group of people that drive about 30 minutes to worship. Um, we have another church that has planted four churches. As four, uh, actually, it's a church that has three different, four different campuses, and they're up kind of near Rhinelander as well. And Rhinelander's in the middle. Anybody know where Rhinelander, Wisconsin is? Population 8,241. I don't know, that's kind of close to that. Yeehaw, if you remember, that's, that, I just aged myself with that illustration there. But these two communities said there needs to be more of a, a vibrant gospel preaching mess, uh, church in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, because uh, you total up all the people who are attending evangelical churches in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, it's probably about 200 people. And 8,000 people, we, we need more of a gospel presence in Rhinelander. So these two churches said... Let's partner together to plant in Rhinelander. One church says we'll commit $300,000 over the next three years to that plant and we'll walk away and not have ownership to it. You provide the people, we'll provide our experience in doing multi-sites and let's launch a church in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And I'm on that launch team, which is kind of exciting. And we have another meeting this week about that. But Think of it, two churches working together to plant another church. Isn't that exciting? And we believe that is part of a DNA that we'll be able to replicate all over the state because much of Wisconsin is rural and bringing churches together to plant in a rural context. We have a dream that by God's grace, there would be a, a, a gospel preaching church within 25 miles of every population center in Wisconsin. 
when I started, we had 99 churches. We're actually at about 141 churches with more churches coming on board, four more at our district conference next month, Lord willing. And plants, I think all those numbers are wrong. We need to keep, the, the problem is they change every week. And, I, and, and so we just to try and keep them current. But the thing to say is God's doing things. And uh, two weeks ago, I was down in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We have a church down there that starts in two weeks. And we've been sending teams down there to help with their new building. Listen to this story. A mainline denomination church did not make it through COVID. So they put their building up for sale. It's right in down, kind of a, a heart of a part of Milwaukee, right on a street corner. They own an entire block and a building from the 60s. And they were put up for sale when they went under for between 550000 and 600000 Well, our two church planners, a Hispanic church planner and an African-American church planner, go to this church and say, we'd love to buy it, but we can't afford it. They said, well, how about $219,000? I don't know where the two nineteen dollars came from, but they said, how about two hundred nine? dollars They go to the bank. Keep in mind, they've never met as a church before. So this is, you know, kind of a unique time. And they say to the church, uh, or to the, the bank, we want 219000 And the bank says, oh, that shouldn't be a problem. They come back and say, oh, no. <laughs> no loan for you. Well, the denomination that was, you know, that went underneath said, well, we'll loan you that money. And then they changed their mind and said, we're not going to loan you that money. And they came back to these two church planners and said, well, how much can you pay us for this building? I was down there painting and doing some work a couple weeks ago, as I said, and we had a guy from Church Mutual, and he said, we insured this property, and to replace it would be like just under $2 million. So there's, it's got value. Well, they said, we scraped together all of our pennies, broke all of our jars of savings, and we have $90,000 we can offer you, and we're almost embarrassed to say that that's what we have to offer you. They said, sold. The pastor, through tears, is telling us a story, and he says... If we would have had our plan, we could have had it for twice as much as God's plan at 219, but we got it for $90,000. And they begin on the 26th of September, and I, I have a sense that that church is going to make a significant impact in that community. And Bridge Church, you're part of both of those stories and the redemptive plan that God is writing all over Wisconsin and the one church in the UP. We've got a lot of work to do in the Upper Peninsula. They're a little tougher, tougher nuts to crack. Uh, I can go on record as saying that because I love them too. But you are part of what God is doing to bring the good news of the gospel. I love what you, your mission statement, I think I heard, connecting people to God and growing or developing them into fully devoted followers of him. I love that. And that's part of what we are partnering with you to do. We have a dream to have a thousand prayer partners. We're still working on what that might look like because we don't want to just say sign up to be a prayer partner and then not have you have resources. Last year was the year of care. This year in the district, we're looking at a year of prayer. And we're starting with this prayer emphasis. We're asking God, the Lord of the harvest, to bring laborers into the field. That's where we're beginning. We're gonna, you'll be hearing about that, Lord willing, here shortly that we are all about praying for people to say, Lord, here am I, send me. Because uh, we have a crisis in church world and on the mission field of people who are retiring and coming home and there's people not to replace them. And we need to be praying for God to send forth laborers into the harvest field. Maybe you are here today 
and God's gnawing at your heart to be one of those to say, here am I, send me. Now, if you're here and God doesn't put that on your heart, you're still in the ministry here, and we're going to talk about that this morning from God's Word. Well, the topic this morning, enough of introductions, do you ever feel like giving up? Let's be honest, we all have times where we think about, oh, I'm, I'm done. If you live through the last year and a half, you recognize there were, it was a difficult time, wasn't it? Uh, I'm a people person, and I preached in one of our churches in the southern part of the state, and the next day, the world shut down. And for 14 weeks, churches didn't want me to come visit them. <laughs> so Zoom became my buddy. So I had my dog, one of my dogs on my lap, my other dog, who's a little bit more, acts like a cat, was over in the other part of the room. And I was on nine and 10 Zoom calls every day for 13 to 14 weeks. And then I watched as lawlessness took place in our country and mistreatment. And I grew, I grew angry watching that. I had fear of contracting COVID. I had, uh, I was being bugged by politicians and what was happening in the world and watching all that, and my distrust basically of all politicians. <laughs> and then there was watching uh, further things that were happening in our society about decisions and things. And I don't know about you, but I was just like, oh, enough. And yet coming back to God's word gives us hope. Now, I just want to say as a precursor to this message that this is not a pull up your bootstraps and if you can just don't give up on your own, that it's all about what you do and persevering and self-determination. That's not what, even though this opening illustration may be a little different than that, this is all about leaning into God and recognizing that he gives us the resources that we need not to give up, but to keep on going. Thomas Edison was interviewed by a young reporter about his progress in trying to invent the electric light bulb. <laughs> the reporter looked at Mr. Edison and said to him, do you feel like a failure since you've been unable to invent the electric light bulb? Perplexed, Edison looked at this reporter and said, young man, why would I ever feel like a failure? I now know definitively over 9,000 ways that the electric light bulb will not work. <laughs> what a statement. And then he says, success is almost in my grasp. Shortly after that interview, in over 10,000 attempts to invent the electric light bulb, Thomas Edison was successful. And he said this at the end of his life, our greatest weakness lies in giving up the most certain way to succeed is always to try one more time. Now, I love Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I love what it says in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord willing, next year I'm going to be visiting in North Carolina the, the graveside of Billy and Ruth Graham. And on Ruth Graham's tombstone, it says, thanks for your patience, construction finally complete, Philippians 1.6. Isn't that a beautiful statement? 
to recognize that she looked forward to the day of completion, to being glorified, to being made like Jesus completely. And friends, that's the hope, one of the hopes that we have, that we can keep on going because God's Word gives us promises. They're reliable. You can take them to the bank. Well, Paul, the author of the text through the Holy Spirit that we're looking at today, God gives us four reasons why we shouldn't give up, four gifts that he gives to us. Paul was a man who knew about difficulty. He was in prison. Matter of fact, he wrote several of his letters from prison. He was flogged with whips five different times. He was stoned with rocks and left for dead outside of Lystra. And he was shipwrecked four different times and out at sea for two days in one of them. If Paul was getting on a boat, I would think twice about getting on a boat with Paul. This man knew what it was to endure hardness as a good soldier, to go through difficulty, to feel like, to think about giving up. And yet here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, four reasons why we shouldn't give up, four gifts that we receive from God to help us keep going on. The very first thing I see in the text is that God gives us a ministry. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have a ministry. Look at verses 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, Friends, everything that we have, that we possess, that we receive, comes either from God's mercy or from His grace. God gives us things that we don't deserve. That's grace, receiving what we do not deserve. And He also shows mercy to us when we don't, des- we don't receive what we do deserve. So by the mercy of God, Paul says, we do not lose heart. What a great statement. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, refused to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And isn't that true? Have you ever talked to someone about what Jesus means to you and what he's done for your life? And they look at you as if you're from Mars. Or you've tried to tell someone about how amazing Jesus is. And they look at you like, well, that's okay for you. Why is that? It's because of what Paul said, the God of this age has blinded the mind. So what do we do? What we proclaim is not ourselves, verse 5 says, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, and this is what our prayer needs to be to our, our friends, our loved ones, people that we know who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We need to pray, let the light shine out of the darkness that is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have been given a ministry. That ministry is the good news of the gospel. We are helping people find and follow Jesus. That's part of what the bridge is all about. Our broken friends, our family, they all need Jesus. He is the answer to the questions that life 
opposes. He is the, he is the, uh, the, the truth that comes and speaks through all of the things, the messaging that we hear in this time than we live. The truth, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's the reason for existence. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I am come that you might have life and not just mere existence, but life to the fullest. So God has given you a ministry. Don't give up because you have been given a ministry. Do not lose heart because God has given you a ministry if you know Jesus. A second gift that God has given us here in this text is not only a ministry, but God gives us a treasure to keep on going and not give up. Look at verses 7 to 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That phrase comes from what humanity was created, what Adam was created from the, from the dirt of the ground. God formed Adam and then breathed life into him. So that song, that group, Jars of Clay, comes from this text. And you just look to the person beside you and say, you are a beautiful jar of clay. Just let them know that. You are a beautiful jar. Now, come on now. This is a group participation. You can even do it with a mask on. You are a beautiful hump of clay, all right? (laughs) You're a beautiful hump of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And we can relate to this. Listen to verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying the body, the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who are, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Friends, not only have you been given a treasure, the gospel, but if you know Jesus, he's come to take up residency in your life. What a treasure. May I say this? If you have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are the most wealthy person in the world. If you have the treasure of Jesus, you are to be envied above all others. The problem is this. (laughs) We don't go back to our time of salvation and relish in it enough. I just had a birthday a week ago. I'm almost at the 55-year mark. That's next year. Double nickel coming. Look out. But when I was five, my dad was a pastor. And I remember, I'm the oldest of three, mom and dad tucking me into bed. And my father said this to me as they were praying for me. Son, there's someone that loves you more than your mother and I do. And I'm just like, who, who could that be? And I ran through the list of people I knew in my short six-year lifespan And I'm like, who could love me more than my mom and dad because I had seen their love and display in my six years of life? And my dad told me that Jesus loved me more than they did and that God demonstrated his love for me while I was still a sinner. Now, I hadn't robbed any banks. I hadn't, you know, done any... (laughs) I was six, okay? But I I knew I was a sinner because I'd had a few spankings. I'd had a few board meetings. I I got a board meeting tomorrow. You continue to have board meetings. And yet, that night, the truth that Jesus loved me 
and he loved me enough to die for me was something that I wanted to know more about. That was over almost 49 years ago. So the, the problem can be, I forget the mercy and the grace of God that saved me. I forget that I was a lost sinner. And if it weren't for Jesus and God's mercy and grace, I would not have that treasure. Friend, if you're here this morning, you need to fall in love all over again with that treasure that you've received. If you know Jesus, you are the wealthiest person in this world. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You have been given a treasure. Don't give up. God's given you the treasure. He's given you the treasure of his son, of a friend who came to faith in Christ uh, through the previous ministry where I was a senior pastor. And he was a guy with a reputation in the community in which we lived. He brought his two teenage uh, children to our student ministries, and I would hang around afterwards and just greet parents, and et cetera, at our Wednesday night programming. And he was always in the corner, and I would go over and talk to Kurt. He said, let's go to breakfast. I have some questions about some of the things we've been talking about. And over the course of about two or three months, always seemed to be me treating at breakfast. I don't know what was up with that, but anyway, he gave his life to Jesus and received the treasure of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, the old went away and there was a new Kurt because the treasure of Jesus had come into his life. He said, you know, we should be doing something for this community. I said, I agree. He said, no, tangibly, we should be doing something. I said, will you pray about that and write it out, a proposal, get back to me, let's talk about that. He said, I think we should ask our church to take a week's vacation and everybody come love on our community. Well, let's pray about that. Well, two, the next two years, we had over 150 people from our church take vacation to come and love on our community. Why did that happen? Because Kurt received the treasure of Jesus, and he wanted everybody else in the community to know about that treasure as well. Friend, don't give up. You've been given a, a ministry, the ministry of the gospel. You've received the treasure of Jesus if you've asked him to come into your life and to save you. Missionary Hudson Taylor, who was greatly used by God in China as a missionary, said this, quote, all God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they relied on on the treasure of Jesus Christ that was within them. Friends, another reason not to give up is we have been given faith. God gives us faith. Listen to verses 13 to 15. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. All this was for your benefit. Him being perplexed, him being beaten, all of those things, all of that was for their benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. How did Paul keep going? He had a confident faith. Listen to his life verse, Philippians 1, verse 21. Paul said this, 
for, to, for, for me to live, it's Christ. Everything, the, the whole reason I'm here is Jesus, Jesus Christ. And then he said, and to die is gain. And he said, I'm perplexed. Should I stay here because that's for your benefit? But I, to be honest with you, I'd really rather go be with Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul had a confident faith. Uh, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand also had that confident faith. They were Romanian missionaries, pastors, pastor and wife, who were thrown in prison for 14 years. They were told, each one of them, that their mate was dead. At the end of 14 years, they were freed, and they came back to the United States, and they founded Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. And since 2011, they have rescued over 43,000 persecuted Christ followers. When asked, how did, they, how did they survive the 14 years, and three of the years were spent by one of them in solitary confinement. Three years in solitary confinement. And yet they said they had a faith that they knew that God was working in their circumstances. Friend, another reason we do not give up is we have a confident faith. And it's not a faith in a what, it's a faith in a who. We have faith in God that he is working in our circumstances, in our world, and in our very lives. The last thing that I see that has been given to us as a gift, and one of my favorite of the four here, if I could say that, God gives us eternity. Not only has he given us a ministry and a, and a treasure and a confident faith, but God gives us eternity. Look at verses 16 to 18. Therefore, here's that word again, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not give up. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. If you're over 50, you know what that means. You look in the mirror and you try and put a little paint on the barn, do whatever you can to look better. My dear beloved wife, I've said this when she's been in my presence when I've said this, I've said to her, now darling, if someone comes up to us and they say, oh, this is your father, or says this is my daughter, I said, you're no longer getting your hair colored. It just isn't going to happen because I'm not going to be, you know, I worked hard for this gray hair and I'm not going to be called your, your, your father <laughs> and you're not going to be called my daughter. And then she says, well, of course, there's things in a bottle that you can do to fix that, fix your hair as well. But if you're over 50 or you're over 40, you know that this outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we can be renewed day by day, as Paul is saying. Verse 17, our light and momentary troubles. And you say, John, you don't know my troubles. You don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. But God does. And they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God has given us the gift of eternity. I close with this illustration. In October of 1982, more than 78,000 people gathered in Camp Randall to watch their beloved Wisconsin Badgers take on Michigan State. Coach Dave McLean, whose wife Judy was on staff with Fellowship of Christian Athletes when I was on staff, and Dave was a, a godly coach of the Badgers, 
In the third quarter, Michigan State was driving to score a touchdown, and 78,000 people wearing red were cheering at a very inappropriate time. Dave is looking around saying, why are all of these beloved Badger fans cheering for Michigan State who's going on to maybe score the winning drive? What he found out later was many of them were tuned in on their transistor radios to the World Series and what was happening 70 miles away at then Milwaukee County Stadium where the Brewers were taking on the St. Louis Cardinals in game four of the World Series. And when the game started, the Brewers were down five to one, but as this drive was happening, the Brewers were rallying behind Robin Yount, Cecil Cooper, and Gorman Thomas, and the crowd was going nuts. Why? Because they weren't watching what was happening before them in Camp Randall. Their attention was 70 miles away with what was happening with their beloved Brewers. Dave McLean was really happy at a press conference inward because he said, we won, and I found out why they were cheering, and I have a little more confidence next home game that maybe they'll be cheering for us again. But their fixation was not on what was happening before them. It was elsewhere. May I suggest, friend, that our focus needs to be not only on what is around us, but on the eternal. May I give you a stock tip? There are only two things that will last forever. Investments that are made in this book, the Word of God, and investments that are made in people. Those two investments will last for all of eternity. The last two weeks, I've had two close friends die. I'm thankful that I will see them again because I saw fruit in their lives and I have certainty that they were followers of Jesus. How do we grieve differently than others? We grieve with hope and expectation of seeing them again. Friends, may I encourage you that when you think about throwing in the towel, when you think about giving up, to recognize that it's just not about this life. God has given us not just the hope of, but the promise of eternity, where all will be made right, where we forever will be where there's no more pain. And with my last name being P-A-Y-N-E, I'm so glad it's spelled P-A-I-N. There'll be no more pain. No more tears. No more pharmacies. No more hospitals. Amen. No more doctors. I'm thankful for them here. I'm just saying I'm glad they're not going to be there. And God gives us that hope of eternity. Friends, don't give up. God has given you a ministry, the gospel, the good news. He's given you a treasure, a treasure above all, Jesus Christ. He's given you a confident faith that he's at work in your very circumstance. And he's also given you a perspective, a view of eternity that we focus our eyes not on what is temporary and what is here, but on what is eternal. 
and what is to come. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the promises of the things that you have given us. Thank you for Paul who had a confident faith and saw his gifting and saw his um, purpose as bringing the good news, the, the, the message he'd received in the ministry and the, the treasure of Jesus that he'd received on the road to Damascus and the faith that he had that God was working in his difficult circumstances and a perspective towards eternity that God was um, to live was Christ but to die was gain to go and be with Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would encourage this dear group of people this morning. I pray for the bridge, that it would continue to be a place that would connect people with God, with you, and then help them develop and grow into fully devoted followers of Jesus. God, minister to the hearts this morning. Heal those who are hurting. Come into every circumstance as only you can. And we pray this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.